This is episode number 03 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jesse Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey friends, welcome on to another episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. I'm Jesse Mundell. And I'm Anita Lambert. Today we are going to be talking about diastasis recti, the myths and the facts. We want to get clear on what diastasis actually is, bust a myth, understand some facts about it, and discuss diastasis in relation to pregnancy and post-pregnancy life and exercise. So Anita, kick us off. What actually is diastasis recti? Yeah. So, and there's so many names too. So you may have heard of diastasis, diastasis recti, diastasis rectus abdominis. There's a lot of names, but they all mean the same thing. So basically it's that our outer abs. So if you think of our six pack abs are sitting farther apart. So it's not that there's actually a cut. If there was actually a cut, that would actually be a hernia. So I think sometimes there's a misconception of what it is. So it's just that those muscles are sitting a bit further apart and there's tissue that connect them together that isn't muscle, that it's connective tissue. It has collagen in it. So it's strong. Um, there's an elastic component to it. So it has the ability to stretch, which is really brilliant, especially when we're pregnant, um, and then kind of recoil and have tension to it. So the really a diastasis and to not get too detailed, it's generally defined as um, the abs sitting about two finger widths apart. Um, but there's so much more to it than that. We're going to dive a bit more into that. So traditionally, it's, you know, the muscle sitting a bit further apart is considered um, a diastasis. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that, Jess? Is that what you yeah. in terms of talk about it? And I really think traditionally, yes, it's about how wide it is, about this gap and about closing the gap. But what we want to kind of bust some myths today in terms of it's not just about the width. It's really about tension um, of that tissue that connect the abs. So um, for some, they may have a a pretty small space, but um, not really great tension. So when we test these muscles, we may be sinking really deep, whereas others may have a wider gap but their tension is fantastic. And tension is really what allows um, that area to work its best. So really help what we call our function. So day-to-day movements, activities, sports, anything like that. So um, some of my clients, they won't necessarily kind of quote unquote close that gap, but they get really awesome tension. And then that, that's really what lets them, you know, do everything they want to do without any issues. 
I think it's so important, one point that you mentioned there, about this being a smart function of the body, especially if we're speaking about in pregnancy and post-pregnancy realm, like we are during this discussion of diastasis recti. There are other scenarios in which you can develop a diastasis, but we're going to really focus this conversation onto pregnancy and post-pregnancy life. So it is a smart function of the body in pregnancy to have our abdominal wall be able to stretch and have the abdominal muscles and the connective tissue be able to adapt to these growing demands. So a biggie for me, what I see from messages and coaching clients is that people who do have a diastasis recti are sometimes really stressed and really scared about it. They almost feel like their body has failed them, like it's embarrassing or it's bad to have Uh, an abdominal separation and it really truly is not the body knows what it's doing and for us Mm -hmm. to be able to carry a baby till full term or as close as we can get there or sometimes after Mm -hmm. it's amazing that our body is able to do that to be able to stretch Mm -hmm. grow and adapt and to be able to grow this human in our bodies yeah no it's so true and I totally agree with you that I think right now a big part of um well, you and I, I know talk about this a lot, is kind of decreasing the fear around having a diastasis. And we're going to talk a bit more about, um, there's all different, you know, degrees. I like to call it degrees of diastasis. So when we're checking, um, we're checking above kind of a spot above the belly button at the belly button and below. So there's three areas you may have kind of this separation or diastasis happening and everyone will have it different. Some people it'll be mainly in one or two parts. Um, and how we talked about if you, um, you may notice doming in that area. So for anyone who's wondering if they have it, um, if you've ever gotten up out of bed or any sit up or crunch type movement and noticed kind of a doming or a coning along your center line, that's a sign of diastasis. And it's a sign that that tissue may not right now know how to create really good tension there. But then once you learn how to use all the muscles that connect in, um, that can really make a difference even right away. Or it just may need some time uh, for those muscles to adapt and uh, that inner core canister to really um, work its best to support that area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And we'll talk a little bit more about how it actually heals in just a second. So we'll get there for sure. I think a biggie is just remembering that we can trust our bodies during pregnancy to do what it needs to do and then know that we can heal well postpartum. So if you do have a diastasis in pregnancy, know that that is a really normal situation to find yourself in. And uh, I think both Anita and I experienced that exactly. Um, And then again, knowing that it is absolutely possible to heal postpartum, and in most cases, it does heal well, and especially with a little bit of TLC in terms of, say, working with a pelvic health physio or doing a specific program, working with a trainer who specializes in these areas, it is so possible to heal well postpartum. So do not stress about that. Uh, Yeah, I think it's a big part is like, just knowing what to do to help promote. And when I see clients during pregnancy and they're not sure if they have a diastasis or maybe someone else told them that they did and we check in, we go over it. The biggest thing I'm like is, you know, debunking those fears, but then letting them know like during pregnancy, we're going to do everything to support the area and then have a really awesome plan in place postpartum to help heal. And as soon as we start talking about that, they're like, Oh, okay. This isn't a horrible, horrible thing. 
um, that's not going to heal, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It really gives you a sense of hope when you get to have those conversations and to just relax and to let your body do its thing and know that you have strategies in place to support yourself. So I think a good or a common question as well is why does this happen? So we've talked about during pregnancy why this is kind of a brilliant um, mechanism of our body um, in terms of as baby and our uterus grows, our body has to adapt to that. So it makes sense. Um, but then how we talked about everyone has different degrees to it and how it heals and even um, how much it presents in pregnancy. Um, and so why does this happen? So Jess and I want you to know there are actually a number of reasons why it may happen. And there may not be a pinpoint specific factor for you. It may be a combo um, of these. So some of them is like even starting with genetic tissue. And this isn't something, again, we can control because it's genetic. So. I've seen that before too um, with clients that just sometimes their tissue uh, is more lax um, and kind of when we start talking about they may be mentioning, oh, my mom or my grandma, like different things that may be coming up in terms of genetics um, with that. So that definitely can play a role with how it presents, but also even kind of how quickly things heal. Um, and then also even uh, like our size in terms of torso um in our stature so uh one of my good friends if any of you have watched any facebook lives i've done with hannah who's a pelvic physio um she's about five feet not quite five feet so she's quite a bit shorter and i'm five nine and i know jess how tall are you jess i'm about five seven so taller yeah. as well yeah so jess and i have a longer torso than for example hannah so hannah will always joke how whenever you know she's had she's had three kids and she's like there's not a lot of space lengthwise, so babies have to go somewhere. So they're, they're going to be more outwards than, per se, when I carried Pippa. And that's just our body, like, in terms of our stature. And, again, that's not something we can control either. So just be aware that's, that's part of it, too. Um, what would be some other factors, Joss, that come to mind? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what I typically see are chronic patterns and the way that mom holds or moves her body. So this is something that I had to dial into going into pregnancy because I, as a an old gymnast, an ex-gymnast, I'm a chronic breath holder and a really good rib flare too. So those are my go-to patterns that I would live in and mm -hmm. tend to live in chronically. Um, if I don't catch myself doing it over and over again. So if you just find yourself living in these certain positions always, again, to reiterate, it is never bad to hold your breath necessarily. It's never bad to be in a rib thrusting or bum gripping or tucking position some of the time. And it's really good to be able to move through those positions. But if we are always breath holding when we are, say, exercising or we are under load or we're carrying the toddler while we're also pregnant again, if we are always tucking the bum under and gripping through the glutes, these can be patterns that might create issues right now in the short term or in the long term as well too. So again, noticing these things about your bodies in the, which, in the ways in which you move 
can be important. So trying to move through as many variations and ranges of motions as you can, and also breathing when you are lifting and under load. It doesn't have to be any specific pattern of breath, exhale on exertion is a cue that I use often, but really as long as you're remembering to breathe and you're not holding your breath through say a set of 10 squats um, or throughout the entire workout when you are under load or while you're lifting, these things are important. They're going to help us to best manage intra-abdominal pressure. And this is a key component of diastasis recti. Why is intra-abdominal pressure imperative to this conversation? So with that, so when we talk about, um, in terms of we think like our core canister, so just kind of quickly reviewing that, our diaphragm on top, pelvic floor on the bottom, or TA or transverse abdominis kind of around the center. So we're trying to manage kind of the pressure that um, exists within our abdomen. Um, and I like to kind of talk about it if you picture a balloon and not that that's um, totally how our pressure works, but it's kind of a good visual, right? So if you picture holding a balloon in your hands and you think of like squishing the center, the pressure goes somewhere, right? It either goes down on our pelvic floor or up into our diaphragm, which can totally affect pelvic floor, you know, prolapse, incontinence, um, or up into the diaphragm. So affects how we breathe. And so how Jess was talking about, like if you're constantly, let's say, clenching your abs, drawing them in, and that may cause you to breath hold because your diaphragm can't move. So it's this idea, if you picture that balloon, we're trying to create create kind of even pressure around um, that balloon, which is like our abdomen, um, with any activity we do. So if, and then if you picture um, clenching the top of the balloon, the bottom part is going to go out, right, including into our abdomen. So that idea of just more pressure in our abdomen, which may then push out um, with where the diastasis would be as well. So that idea of we're just trying to manage the pressure with whatever movement. So picking up your toddler is going to be a bit different um, than if you were to pick a piece of paper up off the floor than if you were at the gym lifting like a heavy weight. So just to be aware, using your breath can help with that, managing that pressure. I really like to tell my clients this. I went into my first pregnancy with a pre-existing diastasis or an abdominal separation. And at that point, I was able to have good function and I was able to create good tension. But again, going back to all those years of gymnastics training where I held my breath a ton, we did so many reps, hundreds, thousands of reps of flexion-based exercise without good breathing technique or without even any attention paid to the abdominal wall, the pelvic floor, how it's functioning. All these things combined, I went into my first pregnancy and had had for years, decades probably, a pre-existing abdominal separation. What's interesting is that it is the gap is lesser now than it was going into my first pregnancy, mm -hmm. which I think is important to tell people and to know that if you, again, if you do have an abdominal separation, a diastasis, it is going to be okay. There's so many things we can do about it, but also that it really can heal well and it can heal differently and i think we're going to get into this conversation next about how it can heal um oh and there's one question that we're going to touch on later when we talk about myths and facts about going into a subsequent pregnancy with a pre-existing diastasis and how does that affect our body during the pregnancy and can we heal it after is it just going to get worse forever mm -hmm. so we're teasing you a little bit but we'll get there 
But I think that's a good point. So that is another factor of why it may present in a subsequent pregnancy if it didn't totally heal per se um, after previous ones. A um, couple of other factors that may contribute and these I kind of, I don't know, I've seen both sides to it. So the size of baby um, is one thing and number of babies and how close pregnancies are together. And I know moms come in and ask me that question. And I know a lot of this is kind of out there when there's a list of why diastasis may happen, but I, I wouldn't say it's, it's a guarantee, right? Like I've had women come in who've had twins that healed differently than someone who had a singleton baby and the baby was not considered a large baby. So I take those a bit with a grain of salt because I don't necessarily see always a correlation on size of baby or pregnancies or anything like that. I think there's a lot more factors to it necessarily than just those. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. So how does diastasis heal? If you have looked into this, if you have Googled on the internet, you have probably seen many different ideas or ways of diastasis healing brought up. You might have seen different exercise or physio rehab based programs. Um, I have one as well and there are some really fantastic ones that are available. The most important thing that we need to keep in mind always when we're talking about diastasis healing is what Anita was speaking about in the beginning. A healed diastasis is not necessarily that your abdominal muscles are zipper close again. They're not necessarily back together. There can be a remaining gap between those abdominal muscle bellies and everything is functioning perfectly fine. So when we're talking about this healing a diastasis, we're not necessarily talking about a closed abdominal muscle belly gap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And um, yeah, in terms of, I find this is an interesting conversation because there is a lot of information out there on what will actually help heal it. Um, so I find what I often will start with with clients is again, educating about that deep core canister, about certain postures. So I like to do, and I know Jess, you do this as well. And this is um, from Julie Weeb, um, a US physio is ribs over pelvis. This idea of I like stacking the ribs over pelvis, especially in the start, uh, especially during pregnancy. This can like greatly affect um, a lot of things, including the diastasis um, in pregnancy, but also postpartum. Um, so getting that to feel a little bit more natural. Um, and then once we get that deep core canister, your pelvic floor, the rest of your core talking to each other. Um, and then once we start progressing in terms of exercises or progressing activity is like knowing how to manage how we talked about that pressure, whether you're picking up your toddler or regardless of what you're doing, what your goals are. So managing the pressure there, but then challenging things. So I know Jess, this is a big part you love to talk about um, that, you know, sometimes I'll have clients come in and they've been told to kind of stay pretty low load, not really challenging things, but they're at a point where they can engage. So yeah, we got to challenge the tissue now, right? So would you how do you feel about that or how do you approach that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely the approach that we take with training clients is that diastasis and the linea alba, that connective tissue, does respond well to appropriately challenging loads and pressure that is managed well in the body. So if in every exercise we're doing in our early postpartum exercise training, in our diastasis recovery program, there is not much load, there's not much challenge, or on the other side of the spectrum, in every single exercise we're finding that we can't breathe and own that position, 
or if the belly is bulging out hard, or if we see doming in the linea alba, then we know that we're likely not managing that pressure in an effective way. So we need to find this gray area. We don't wanna live in the black and white where it's either we're just lying on the floor doing breathing exercises and heel slides, and we're not deadlifting 250 pounds at four weeks postpartum to try to heal the diastasis. We're living in the gray, so we're finding that appropriately challenging effort mm -hmm. in which we can own the technique, we can own the breath, and we feel like we are managing the pressure well in our bodies. Yeah. And I think it's important to um, seek out whether it's a pelvic physio or, or a physio who deals with diastasis or a trainer like Jess, because what I'm finding is I'm getting clients come in who sometimes have been checked by other individuals who maybe haven't really been updated or taught correctly. So either they get told they do or they don't have a diastasis and really the opposite's true. The other side of it is we want to make sure you know is we're focusing today on diastasis, so that separation. Some clients come in feeling like I've got a separation and I check and they don't, but they're like, then why does my stomach look like this? And I think that's another key part is with pregnancy, our skin does stretch. We do gain fat tissue, which is again, a very smart component of being pregnant. Um, we need that. Um, and then the actual, uh, like the abdominals themselves stretch. Like that's another component I think that often gets forgotten. There's such a focus on this connective tissue in between. We forget the abs actually stretch. So sometimes when we are checking out different movements, so like hands and knees position or we're progressing to planks on the floor and a client isn't actually sure if they're doming or not. So I actually check their tension in the center. They're not doming, but they may see tissue and that's actually not their diastasis. That's extra tissue that's there for other reasons. So this may be a little bit confusing. And if you haven't had it checked by a professional, you may not know, but I like to put this in there because I think always the assumption is if you see extra tissue, it must be a, a diastasis, but I just want you to know it's not always a diastasis. Mm, I love that you brought that up. That's so key and so important. The other thing that I love that you brought up was different health professionals assessing you. And I always like to tell people this too, when I first started training pre and postnatal populations, the idea at that time, this is 10 plus years ago, was that a two finger separation between the abdominal muscle muscles was diastasis and we needed to heal it, meaning we needed to close it. So that's what I told clients for years and it's highly embarrassing now to think back on, but we learn so much and we've come so far. If you yes. are working with trainers or health professionals that are telling you that you have a two finger gap and you need to close it, we need more information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say, but 10 years ago, Jess, that, that was what everyone did. That's what we all did, right? Um, and we have come a long way. So just to know again that it's like working with someone who stays up to date on this information is really key. Um, and to know too that not all professionals, the assumption may be if a professional or a, a care provider um, is involved with the birth process that they are educated on diastasis. Um, often it's not a part of training in terms of with that. So just to be aware of that to get a second opinion um, or speaking with someone who deals with this, like Jess and I do every single day, multiple times a day, will be important just to get accurate information and to know what to do. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so key. What I also found so interesting in my own postpartum number one experience with my diastasis was assessing it myself throughout and over time and just noticing big differences that happened within those first, say, six, eight weeks postpartum, but then also noticing the slow changes that occurred as we got further out postpartum, when I started getting more sleep, uh, when I started ramping up my exercise and my loading a little bit when I, it was appropriate to do so. When we stopped breastfeeding, there were so many slight changes that actually occurred in what I could feel in the tissue. And what I'll say this time going into pregnancy number two is that I already feel uh, at the time we're recording this, I'm like 16, 17 weeks pregnant. It already feels a bit more squishy through my linea alba. I just think it's so, it's just so interesting. And when we approach this with a sense of curiosity, I just think it's like a total nerding out moment. It's just cool yeah. to feel what's happening in your body. Yeah. And to feel it for a different time, right? Like with steel, because she was your first, right? So it's going to be different than, um, than your second and just kind of what you've done in between. And even the knowledge you have now compared to a few years ago, just so many differences, right? The last point we want to touch on in terms of healing diastasis is nutrition. Mm -hmm. And there is, there's going to be more studies, more research, more evidence based to come in terms of nutrition and helping to support diastasis right now. As far as I know, there's not much, correct? Mm -hmm. There's, there's not, I think, um, some of the information out there, which isn't necessarily backed up by research is this idea of collagen and increasing collagen in your diet. And, and I even talked to my naturopath about this to find out maybe there's, you know, something out there I don't know about. Um, and she agreed, there's nothing really out there to totally, you know, say, yes, it's going to make a huge difference. But she said, it's not going to harm anything. So it, it's that idea, I think, with nutrition is keeping, you know, different nutrition ideas in mind that can promote general healing and all of that as well. Um, can't hurt it in terms of um, diastasis healing. Would you agree, Jess, with that? Mm -hmm. And personally, I did use a collagen supplement early yeah. postpartum with steel. And who knows if it made any difference, might not have, but mostly what I found, it was just an easy way to get in a source of protein in a smoothie every day. So that was yeah. worth it enough for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was the same always in terms of source of protein and I used collagen as well and still do. Okay, so what was your experience with diastasis like mm -hmm. during and after pregnancy with Tippa? Yeah, so during pregnancy, so it, I'm trying to think of when it, I know, so I kind of got a little bit of the belly button. I was surprised I didn't like you. So I grew up as a ballet dancer and an athlete. So I was surprised I didn't go in with one, um, but I did end up, I would say it was to, I think I got to maybe three fingers at the belly button and about two fingers above. And that was kind of the extent of it. Um, but knowing how to manage my pressure, cause I was also as a ballet dancer grip, right. Gripping my abs, like always at, or, um, gripping my abs, but my ribs, like always like trying to bring my ribs down, but not in a relaxed manner. Always. That was just like a, I don't know, became like just not thinking about it. That's what would happen. So I think that was probably part of why that happened. Um, but learned to manage my pressure, pressure and worked on that deep core canister. Um, didn't really have much doming. So I was happy with that. I was able to kind of ma maintain that tension. Um, and then, yeah, postpartum, it healed pretty well. Like, and even kind of, I was just thinking that we were going to be recording this. I'm like, let me just see what's going on. Um, 
and everything has been back. It's been back kind of for a while. So I think my belly button may be a bit wider than a finger, like almost two fingers, but that's also something to remember too. At your belly button, like it's never been completely fully closed, right? Because our belly button is there. So there is going to be a bit of a space there. And without knowing pre-pregnancy where you're at there, um, unless you're like Jess, who knew, um, who knows, right? So I'm, yeah, I feel pretty good with everything. And I'm just so much more mindful now of like gripping and my rib situation and all that, just keeping that uh, in check as well. So yeah, and did, I'm sure we did very similar postpartum, um, like rehab, restoring, ribs over pelvis, all those things. After just, I wanted to do everything I could just to um, promote an effective healing, whatever that was going to be for my body. Mm-hmm. We have pretty much twin diastasis experiences. Yeah. That was exactly what mine was like as yeah. well, too. I didn't, my belly didn't get too big until the later stages of pregnancy. Again, just long torso, steel was small. <laughs> she had lots of room to kind of hang out. Um, but I didn't really notice much separation until maybe going into third trimester. Mm-hmm. And then postpartum, it was probably at least three fingers at the belly button two plus above and below exactly like you were saying and then it just gradually came back together more tension uh, came back in those early postpartum stages and then again like i was saying even though i felt those dramatic changes within those first couple months postpartum there was still more slow changes to come again as we got more sleep as we stopped nursing Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm excited to see what happens this time around and if it's similar or if it's different. What mm-hmm. I'm experiencing now at this stage, early pregnancy, is that I look pregnant already, which is cool for me because last time I didn't at all until yeah. later on. So I'm just interested to see if it will perhaps be, say, a bit larger, a bit more severe since my belly and my abdominal wall is going to be bigger for longer or mm-hmm. if... My linea alba can handle that load since it's been through before. Who knows? I'm excited. We'll talk about it more as we go here. We'll keep you updated. Yeah. So I know something we wanted to get into kind of myths and facts around diastasis. And so the first one we want to start with is, does everyone get a degree of diastasis in pregnancy? And we kind of touched a little bit on that. And um So in terms of research um, out there, what it says, there is a study that does show that 100% of moms will have it in the third trimester. And another one talks about 66% um, in their third trimester. Those are kind of the two that a lot of people will talk about. Um, So between those numbers, I would say from, and this is just clinical experience in terms of what I see with clients, I have yet to see someone in their third trimester that doesn't have a degree of the traditional definition where it's at least two finger widths wide. Um, A lot can have great tension. I've had some that don't have great tension and we work on specifically what they need, but that traditional definition of two finger widths wider, um, at least at one of those three points that we talked about, I haven't seen anyone who doesn't have that. Um, I don't know in terms of just what you've seen with your, uh, with your clients. Yeah, I would fully agree with you on that. I think that in most every case, there is going to be some additional widening of the linea alba from someone's normal when we get to the end of pregnancy, and especially if we are talking about getting to the end of a full-term pregnancy. 
So the second myth is if you have a two finger separation, you have a diastasis that needs to be rehabbed. We sort of already talked about this because this is what I used to tell people. The short answer is no. Of course, there are other factors that need to be considered in that particular body when you are assessing them, when you are seeing them move. But as a blanket statement, this is just simply not true. Yep, I would agree. So everything kind of we've already talked about this a few times in terms of there may be two finger widths, but if uh, the client can generate amazing tension of that tissue, I'm not really concerned with it. And I let them know that as well. And it's just something that if there's any exercise or sport or activity or day to day things they want to do um, and they're concerned, we'll just check the tension in that specific movement. And they'll, they know how to use their breath. They know how to control the pressure. Um, and I just, I, just tell them like it's not it's not really about fully closing that gap um that that's not kind of up-to-date information at this point um with it and i think that we are still when we assess diastasis we are still looking at the gap and we are looking at the tension too and one of the reasons why we do still care about the gap is because we can then when we keep doing assessments in the future we can see if that changes or if it is staying the same but again, don't allow yourself to become too wrapped up and let yourself get overwhelmed by what that number is for the gap specifically. And I like just how you talked about over time. Like it's not that you're going to have the same changes in the same amount of time. Because I know, um, especially when I first started treating diastasis years ago, like a lot of clients would be so hung up on that number um, and how it it can change with a lot of um, a lot of clients. But for someone it doesn't and if they get frustrated but i'm like now it's all about the tension and i teach them how to check it so it just yeah it just clears up a lot of that kind of um frustration if it's not you know coming back to zero the third point we want to discuss is you can prevent the severity of diastasis recti during pregnancy is this a myth or is this a fact <laughs> so technically with research um it doesn't suggest that you can actually prevent it. But I know Jess and I are similar in terms of how we look at how the body functions and all about that core canister and the pressure um, and critically thinking about how the system works. There may be kind of strategies or modifications that can potentially help not put extra stress um, on this tissue. But again, there's you know, online or depending who you talk to, there's a whole range. There's some who are extremely conservative um, and won't have you do anything on hands and knees ever during pregnancy. And then there's others who are having you like fully load to the nth degree all the way up till the end. Um, and I would say Jess and I are probably in the middle in terms of with that. But again, it's so individual um, with all the factors we've already talked about um, and just each person, their tissue is going to be different. So definitely we still want to challenge and load it, um, but know how to distribute that pressure. Um, and then in terms of pelvic physio wise, being able to check pelvic floor, like what's happening on the bottom while they're doing all of these progressions or as pregnancy is progressing or postpartum is also important as well. I love it. This leads us into number four, which is the type of exercise you do during pregnancy and post-pregnancy can impact the severity of your diastasis. So myth or fact, I would say it's very similar to what you just said 
above. Research doesn't have hard and fast answers for us on this, but when we think critically about how our bodies move and function and what they're doing under load and while we're lifting, we can use exercise programming and strategies to have impact on perhaps the severity of diastasis during pregnancy and then how well it is healing postpartum. I would definitely uh, agree with that. It it all depends and everyone's going to be different. Um, but for anyone who follows uh, Brianna Battles, um, Jess and I are both um, fans of hers as well. And she's openly shared about her experience healing from diastasis after two different pregnancies. Um, and she also talks about strategies and loading and how important that is, even with someone who does have more quote unquote severe diastasis and lack of tension initially. So, um, yeah, there's just so many factors involved. And then also what you love doing. I never like giving clients activities or exercises they despise doing because a, they won't do them and, and B it's just not going to help. Right. So having things that they enjoy doing, but maybe needing to modify them, um, and educate. I tell clients like, okay, if you, if one of your goals is get to a floor plank on your hands and uh, toes, this is how we're going to progress there into various angles and progressions to get to that point. So I think it's knowing where your goal is and your end point, but just smart ways to get there. That's actually going to help your healing in the process. Mm -hmm. So key. Last point we'll talk on this specific point is that it is not just about the exercise that you are using in pregnancy or postpartum. It is, as we've mentioned many times already, the strategy that we are using in those specific exercises or the modification of that exercise. So our breath, our technique, the reps and the sets we are using, all of these things will have an impact. That is why some programs or some rehab type uh, scenarios for diastasis can be limiting if they do not discuss the strategies, if it is just an exercise that is given in the program. And lastly, we wanted to talk about, is surgery ever necessary for diastasis healing? Because this is also what I have some clients coming in. Um, similar to pelvic floor issues, sometimes they get told, well, you can just have surgery when you're done having kids and that'll just fix everything. Um, and real well, there's more to it than that, just like everything we're talking about. But oftentimes, diastasis can be um, healed really, we call it conservatively, so without surgery. Um, everything that we've talked about from your intra-abdominal pressure, how to engage your abdominals, just smart strategies. Um, sometimes what can happen is even with doing all those and for an extended period of time, um, sometimes if even as your muscles learn to engage properly, if tension doesn't necessarily get created in that linea alba and there's other issues going on or you can't necessarily get to your goals because you can't get that tension then at that point surgery may be a good option um but yeah what would you say in terms of with your clients jess in terms of um how do you talk to them about kind of if surgery would ever be really a recommendation so there are guidelines that i use from diane lee who has basically just written on this topic she has a blog post about it or an article I think what she says is one year postpartum, at least you're done having children. You have worked with a physiotherapist, physiotherapist who specializes in diastasis recti treatment. Those are our absolute minimums. Those are the basics. 
What I also love about Diane Lee though is that she talks about effective diastasis surgery and she works with a specific surgeon in the greater Vancouver area who is the only person she trusts. I really like and I use the same uh, protocol that Diane Lee talks about. Um, I've had uh, two clients get surgery ever um, for it and that was after working for a period of time their muscles were able to connect um, but the one in particular like she just wasn't getting tension she worked with a personal trainer like she did everything um, and just that tension wasn't able to be created she got the surgery actually when I was going on mat leave um, and I was able to connect with her after and she said it was she was um, it was a really great decision for her it's what she needed um, but putting all that effort in before was really helpful with her recovery after she continued seeing another physio when I was off but those muscles knowing how to connect before you have surgery super key for after so I guess the main point is it's not just a tummy tuck there's much more to it and specifically if this is something that you um, the journey you need to go on is checking out a lot of different surgeons making sure if you're working with a physiotherapist that you know they're connected because there's I think a lot of misinformation about what can fix a diastasis so in terms of surgery it wouldn't be for Jess and I like our first recommendation for you there's a lot of work that can be done first to really help and then even if you were to have surgery that work you did initially is going to help your postpartum or your post-surgical recovery just like if you had a hip or knee or shoulder surgery, prehab is really important for your post-op recovery. Mm, yeah, so helpful to hear all that, such smart points. I think we have touched on it all that we wanted to. Was there anything else you wanted to mention? No, I think, uh, I think that was great in terms of a discussion. I do wanna say in the show notes, we're gonna be having some links um, to different resources from Jess and I, um, so that you can also visually see how to test your diastasis. Cause I think that's the hard part with the podcast is the, we can't visually show you these things. We're trying to describe them um, so that you can hear them, but it's important to see them. So make sure we'll talk a bit uh, in a little bit about the show notes, but check out those references and resources. So then you can check this yourself. All right, friends, main things about diastasis, do not stress yourself wild over it during pregnancy or postpartum. Your body knows what it is doing during pregnancy. There are strategies that we can use during that time to hopefully prevent the severity, but also knowing that diastasis is a normal part of that experience for many people. And postpartum, we can absolutely heal it well and working with a health professional who specializes in diastasis healing can be paramount to your recovery as well. During pregnancy and postpartum, things that we recommend to our clients, learn how to breathe well when you are in challenging positions that are requiring of you physically. So when you are doing exercise, when you're lifting kiddos, when you're carrying the groceries in, pay attention to the strategies that you are using in terms of your breath, your technique, and then also notice how you are managing that pressure, especially if you are doing specific exercise sessions. Look for lots of belly bulging, look for doming during the linea alba. Those can be signs that we need to create some better strategies around how we are managing that pressure. And last point, know that postpartum, it can take time to heal. 
You will often see a lot in literature about diastasis that the first eight weeks is so key and so important in healing diastasis. And while that can be true to a certain degree, if you are further out postpartum than that, do not worry. There is always time to make improvements and to progress on your function of the abdominal wall and your whole pelvic floor and core health. And definitely stay tuned for our next episode. We're going to be sharing about the first six weeks postpartum. We're going to be talking about the physical, mental, emotional recovery and experience and common information that a lot of expecting people are told that may or may not be accurate. And we're also going to include our own experiences with uh, both of our baby number one uh, in terms of what we went through those first six, six weeks. So definitely stay tuned and thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 